2: The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast.
3: This is Tom Leander, and you're listening to the Timeline podcast with Mike and Sam. He elevates
1: and detonates. I think DeAndre, Devin, uh, Mikel, Josh, TJ, as well as Monty, I think if you look at that team, that core, uh, that nucleus, uh, there's, there's a lot to be excited about. 26%
3: 26% chance with the 6-pick And we fucking win. <laughs> My emotions Are All over the place No idea What's going on in the world right now I don't care I don't have any feelings towards anything it's Completely heartbroken and distraught No one wants a 6-pick <laughs> No one wants a trade fair Now it looks like it's Katie or Bust Maybe D-Lo <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you get a big pack But yeah
2: Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. My name is Mike V. Hill. Thank you to that caller who called in and left us basically a message that perfectly displays how we all feel right now, I think. Um, Sam Cooper, how do you feel right now?
4: What a shitty note to start on, Mike. (laughs) Uh, Guys, you guys are going to have to bear with me tonight. I've been drinking. Let me tell you something getting the sixth pick fucking sucks you know what sucks more being in a draft lottery viewing party with knicks fans (laughs) where they're upset like they're legitimately upset they're legitimately upset at getting third they drop down from first to third never mind what the odds of the lottery were in the first place like you try to explain to them that you know, you guys weren't gonna get first or second anyway. That's just how the how the lottery works. We dropped to fucking sixth. <laughs> six.
2: yeah, yeah. Six. It was Mike. brutal.
4: What the fuck are we gonna do?
2: It's it's you know? literally the second worst thing that could possibly happen. Literally. Seventh is a possibility, the smallest odds of anything. Um Technically, so people are saying, well, this is the highest likelihood of what we had. No, it's not. There was a 74% chance we weren't going to get the sixth pick. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the, in all likelihood, it would have been higher. I believe there was like a 68% chance we would have picked higher than sixth. So this is, this the, the numbers did not bounce in our favor today, and the Suns are now picking sixth. Um, you were around some people that know you're a Suns podcaster. How did they react when... <laughs> Did everyone stare at you as immediately when he said, uh, picking sixth is the Phoenix Suns?
4: <laughs> it was a lot of laughing and pointing, uh, and <laughs> to give some of them credit, I've converted some of them into Suns fans at this point, you know, like How there's, there's a certain com- there's a certain camaraderie. Uh, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's been fun. Uh, but, but for the most part, yeah, yeah how many Suns games I've subjected some of my friends to where they've just watched me be sad for two and a half hours. It's honestly pathetic. And coupled that with the reaction for me tonight, it, it was sad, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, look, the, the Knicks finished third, I think more disappointing to all of us was the Lakers. When the Lakers first finished in the top four, I was distraught. Mm-hmm. I was, I was ready to go. Like, I was ready to fight anyone in the bar tonight. That was so... uh, And and then, you know, thank God they finished only with a fourth pick. But it's just still so sad. You know, I think there is something to be said for the NBA lottery system as it currently stands trying to uh, stop teams from tanking. But when you have a system where the team like the Los Angeles Lakers with LeBron James and and the season they just had are able to finish fourth and the Phoenix Suns with 19 wins finish sixth. I'm not saying it's rigged. I, I just think—don't you think there's something slightly wrong there with what we're doing? I really didn't see the point in changing the old odds. It's—it's
2: it's not rigged. You're right about that. But the fact that the team that won the number one pick this year was a team that won because they limited the amount of time that their superstar was allowed to play, and that's what allowed them to get the odds that they got. I mean, he's—they literally won the number one overall pick because he asked for a trade, Anthony Davis. Now, of course, that does sort of mean maybe karma does exist <laughs> in this scenario, because for Pelicans fans to have to endure that for such a long and weird season to, to come out of it with the number one overall pick is not so bad. But the idea that the reason that they got there is because they didn't play their best player for, for the entire year. I mean, that's exactly what they were trying to avoid with changing these odds. It ended up with the same guy or the same team getting the pick, the team that, that sat their best player in order to lose more games, essentially. And that's just unfortunate that that was the team that was rewarded. I, and I'm happy for Pelicans fans overall. But the idea that the Suns could win... 19 games and have basically the worst season they have ever had wins wise and come out of it with the sixth overall pick is a disaster it it just doesn't make sense how how are they supposed to get better how are they supposed to improve over time and I know this was a problem with it in the beginning but it's just to see it unfold right in front of our eyes and have it affect us in a very personal way at this point It it really illustrates the problems with flattening these odds like this
4: It's unfortunate because the way I think the league as a whole views it, you're not going to have many sympathetic eyes uh, on the Suns (laughs) based on this result. I mean, Nate (laughs) Duncan was literally saying that if the Suns got the first pick, he would view that as one of the boring and um, unfair scenarios uh, coming out of the lottery. Uh, Now, granted, he's a cock and we know that, but... (laughs) For the most part, you know, given that the Suns were able to get DeAndre Ayton last year, there's not much sympathy for them this year. They just have to take the result they got and try to push forward with it as best they can. Uh, we should talk about the options that they have. There are a couple of options for guys to draft, uh, and obviously they're going to be heavily exploring a trade.
2: So my first thought was trade, right? I mean, that's the yes. first thing that pops into my head is trade. This is going to be traded at this point.
4: I don't know, but but that's my first thought, as in what do I want them to do, as in what is the Suns' ideal offseason? I don't necessarily think it's, uh, you know, if you look at it in strict probability rules, is there a greater than 50% chance that the Suns trade this pick? I don't necessarily think so. Uh, so, you know, it's still important for us to take seriously the prospects that there are. Uh, there are some good prospects, some older prospects, I think, specifically for the Suns team that has struggled so much with development. They're definitely going to look at some of those older college players that are maybe uh safer bets uh but yeah overall i i just it it's not a great look for us
2: and it's not like this ma- it's not a huge massive disaster the chances of the suns getting the number 1 overall pick were only 14% so that's what we we're all hoping for and that's what i was hoping for every year i get my hopes up i'm not going to pretend like i don't and and that was only that was to me the biggest failure is not getting that number 1 overall pick i don't consider there to be a massive difference between a lot of the rest of the picks in the lottery beyond that because i'm not on the John Morant hype train in the same way I do think that he was the second best player for the Suns uh, had they had that number two pick but beyond that I'm not sure every team would pick him second and I'm not actually you know what let's let's go through it let's try and look at who's picking before us and try and figure out who we think that they would pick so of course New Orleans is going to pick Zion now here's where it gets interesting already the Memphis Grizzlies technically have a point guard in Mike Conley a great point guard but he's old do they pick Ja Morant? People think that they are going to and that he could be developing behind Mike Conley. Do you think that they're going to pick Ja?
4: Uh, yes, I do. I think the question is more so, do they pick Ja and trade Conley immediately? Because Memphis is really sort of at the beginning of their rebuild. The only interesting prospect that they have on that entire roster is Jaron Jackson Jr., who is just a rookie. It's not like there's a strong timeline there to... Get help around Jaron Jackson Jr. immediately or else he's going to request a trade like there is with Devin Booker and Phoenix. So I think Memphis is a team that probably has a couple of years to try to build around him as a prospect because he had a very strong rookie season. So it's theoretically possible for them to draft John Morant second overall and keep Mike Conley behind him. uh, Or or I guess what would be more likely is bring John Morant as the backup behind Mike Conley in his rookie season and really develop him in um, a more reasonable way. That being said, this is the obvious first scenario where, as soon as I saw that Memphis was getting second, I, I literally tweeted out, you know, send in your Mike Conley trade proposals because this is a guy we've debated in the past who would be the better fit for Phoenix in the backcourt with Devin Booker, Drew Holiday, or Mike Conley. Mike Conley would be a great fit for Phoenix despite his age. There are some concerns. Two years, $66 million left on his contract being the primary concern. Uh, but if the sixth pick is at all of interest to the Grizzlies to really try to build, uh, go for a full rebuild and build around the second pick, the sixth pick and Jaron Jackson Jr., then uh, maybe the Suns should be exploring some trade avenues there for Mike Conley.
2: Yeah, and I think that's actually one of the probably one of, going to be one of the biggest storylines for the Suns. What do we do with this uh, pick and, and and is it worthwhile to trade the sixth pick for Mike Conley? two years of Mike Conley at the end of his prime making 30 million dollars over 30 million dollars a year that's a conversation to be had and I think that we're probably Sam you and I are probably going to talk about it for the next month and a half or so um so let's move on from there for now <laughs> have your friends your Knicks fans friends talk themselves into RJ Barrett yeah
4: Knicks fans are stupid I want to get that <laughs> Right off the bat, Knicks fans haven't necessarily Talked themselves into R.J. Barrett Because they still think they're signing Kevin Durant And Kyrie Irving Little do they know that Kevin Durant And Kyrie Irving are probably going to Brooklyn Or at least someone's (laughs) going to Brooklyn It's the same market with half The dysfunction of the organization So Knicks fans are stupid Uh, They'll probably end up with R.J. I've got Knicks fans, Mike I've got Knicks fans who are still telling me that Frank Nielakina Is the next big thing That's New York (laughs) That's just the New York hype <laughs> yeah. machine for you. You get used to it.
2: But what do you think? Do you think they're going to trade that pick then? Do you, what no. do you think the uh, Knicks uh, actually... I know they're, I they're they very actually,
4: unpredictable. Now, um, the Knicks. The truth is the Knicks have so many needs on their roster that I do think they're going to end up... Now, is it conceivable that maybe they go for an option other than R.J. Barrett? Maybe they think that Jarek Culver is a better option. Um, it's very unlikely... Maybe do they think that, uh, DeAndre Hunter is a better option? I think that's very unlikely, but I think they'll go for someone there at the third pick. They'll probably settle on a prospect like RJ Barrett. I don't want to say that's locked in stone. And I also, the Knicks are quite similar to us in that they don't have a great development of, um, or sorry, they don't have a great track record of developing their players. So it's quite possible that RJ Barrett in New York is not going to turn out so nice. Uh, but I think it's unlikely that the Knicks trade that pick. There were all those rumors today about the Knicks trying to go for Anthony Davis if they got the first overall pick. Kill those right now. Obviously, they have no chance.
2: Let's say that they do pick RJ Barrett. I think that I think that's, in all likelihood, RJ Barrett's going to be gone by the time the Suns pick anyway, so let's say they do. That leaves the Los Angeles Lakers at number four, and this, to me, is the most difficult one to predict at this point because what do they do? What Do they pick a player and try and fit the best fit around LeBron? Do they trade this pick to try and find a, a veteran to win now and go for a championship? Uh, do they pick a point guard and maybe make someone like Lonzo Ball available, which is something that Suns fans would, of course, have to look at immediately? Or do they pick Jarrett Culver, probably the best player available at that point? And, you know, he's a wing, but it's a really difficult to predict at this point uh, what the Lakers are going to do, do you have any ideas or any thoughts of who you think they, they're going to pick?
4: It's so easy to say trade the pick. Like Everyone knows that this is a weak draft. It's so easy to say you get third, fourth, fifth, sixth, you trade the pick. For who? Who exactly are the veterans out there that are available? Suns fans, we've wanted Drew Holiday. We heard David Griffin go in there into his introductory press conference say that Drew Holiday is a cornerstone of this franchise. He's not going to make it easy on you, especially now that Zion Williamson is going into that team. It's not going to be easy. And for the Lakers, the same thing applies. Who exactly are the veterans that are available for supposedly top five trade pick value? I really don't think there are as many as people uh, seem to suggest. Like, Mike, give me an example of some star caliber player who actually might be available on the trade block for a top five top six pick i've got a couple of ideas of of guys who might be worth exploring for the suns i don't necessarily know if they make sense for the lakers mm. though
2: uh mike conley i think mike conley would be a great fit on the lakers he probably makes too much if you factor in their plans and free agency but that i think he'd be a great fit uh on that team here's a funny one Kevin Love.
4: (laughs) Yeah, Kevin Love is not worth a top five pick right now. I think Kevin Love has some value as an NBA player left. But if you look at the coverage, first of all, around Kevin Love over the past month or so, what people are saying about them, there are reporters who have asked executives, would you trade for Kevin Love's $30 million? I think I have to go check it right now. I think Kevin Love is making $30 million for the next four seasons. And he's already barely above average. That's a guy who NBA GMs are going to be pinpointing as, this guy has a rough regression curve. We should stay as far away from him as possible. I really don't think it's going to be easy for anyone. Kevin Love making 10 to $15 million a year, that's an impact NBA player. I'm not saying Kevin Love is a bad player, but for $30 million, he's just, what would you trade for him? He's basically a negative trade asset.
2: Do you think that James Jones is one of those general managers that feels that way about Kevin Love? About Kevin... And for the record, here's 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 what I can tell you. I can tell you he's making twenty eight million dollars next year, thirty one million dollars the next year after that, thirty one the next year after that, and then in twenty two twenty three, it goes down to twenty eight point nine million. <laughs> so yes, you're about right, a little, a close to thirty million over the next four years. Because this is a guy that we know Kevin Love and James Jones are close. There was uh, famously an uh, Instagram post that Kevin Love wrote about James Jones. I, I know they're close friends, and we have a need at power forward, of course. I think James Jones is realistic, and, and I think he's actually a little more cutthroat than we realize, and I think we're about to see that go down this summer. I don't think that it's a guarantee, but I, I think that, let's just say I think that there's there's going to be Kevin Love rumors over the next <laughs> few going, weeks about that There's going
4: pick. to be Kevin Love rumors because there have been Kevin Love rumors for 10 years ever since he was in Minnesota. Right.
2: It just feels like he would play on the Suns at some point. It it just has always kind of weirdly felt like that. A power forward who doesn't play defense and is good at offense. Yeah, that's a Suns player. Well, in let my me mind. throw out
4: Here's the problem. I'll throw out another name, but I think the the overall problem is that most of the guys that you can get for the 5th or 6th pick in trade value are exactly the type of stars that Suns fans have turned their noses up at uh over the past year or so you know, or not even over the past year, over the past two or three years, these guys who are overpaid, they're superstar players, but they're overpaid. For instance, take a guy like Blake Griffin. I think Blake Griffin could probably be had this summer. Not necessarily for Phoenix, but for someone. Blake Griffin is a guy, he's got a a good amount of strengths on his resume. He just led a Pistons team. Now, granted, they were swept in the first round by a much, much better Milwaukee Bucks team. He's got an injury history. But he's a a star player in his prime who is just on a 41-win team, just averaged 25 points, seven and a half rebounds, five and a half assists per game on solid efficiency. And for a Pistons team, that is probably in the worst spot in the NBA that you can be, that they're in the middle of the road, not really getting anywhere. Blake Griffin is one of the only players on that roster who really has any trade value in the first place. So if they're trying to get off his absurd contract, he's one of those guys that's making like $35 million a year for at least a few more years. You know they're going to be trying to get off that contract if they want to have a chance to rebuild at any point. I think the Suns could build a package around the sixth pick for a star like Blake Griffin. I think it would take some more prospects outside of that. But judging from what I've seen of the online interaction of Suns fans, Suns fans don't really seem interested in going for a risky star like that. They seem to be more interested in going for basically a player that is just going to be a surefire superstar no matter what happens. And I'm just here to tell you that that's (laughs) not... I don't see how we can get that perfect trade package for uh, the sixth pick. Maybe if we had the second or third pick, that would exist. For the sixth pick, I think Mm -hmm. you could put together a real uh, interesting package for a guy like Blake Griffin, uh, for instance, or Kevin Love, like you suggested. But obviously those are two very flawed players, and so it's a a serious uh, risk analysis that you have to run before you make a move like that.
2: I'm way more into the idea of Blake Griffin than Kevin Love in that scenario but I but you know I'm not f- totally against either one I just think that Kevin Love's contract it's it's a little more brutal because they both have injury problems it's just Ke- Kevin Love is not as versatile on defense let's just no. say that and the idea of putting someone next to DeAndre Ayton long term he needs to be someone that makes up for his flaws I think that DeAndre Ayton can develop into A serviceable defender over time, but it would be nice to have someone that fills in those gaps in the meantime. And, uh, you know, Kevin Love would basically be amplifying those problems in that there would be less defense underneath, and that would place more pressure on uh, DeAndre Ayton to develop quicker, and that's a problem over time, whereas someone like uh, Blake Griffin actually can play defense if he's healthy. Let's focus on who's available in the draft though. Let's say the Lakers choose the best player available and there can be arguments there on who that would be. But let's say Jarrett Culver's off the board with the Lakers and let's say for the Cleveland Cavaliers, that's where it gets interesting. I don't think they're going to take a point guard. We don't really know, but let's say DeAndre Hunter is off the board there. So that leaves the Suns with Darius Garland on the board, Kobe White, Cam Reddish, (laughs) Nasir Little, Brandon Clark-
4: I will kill myself if the Suns draft it's, uh, Cam that's, Reddish. That's That'd the only thing
2: right I can guarantee does not happen, I think.
4: <laughs> Mike v. Hill will have to find another co-host of the, <laughs> of the Timeline podcast if the Suns take Cam Reddish. If we're talking about the sixth pick, there are only three prospects that we really need to talk about. Now, that's assuming that Jared Culver or uh, DeAndre Hunter doesn't make it as far as six. DeAndre Hunter, quite honestly, might be available at six. I think that's probably not a good idea for Phoenix. Uh, even if he is available. But I would prioritize Darius Garland, Brandon Clark, who I know our friends over the 7 Seconds or Less podcast, Max McCauley in particular, love so much, and I'm such a huge fan as well. Darius Garland, Brandon Clark, and Kobe White. Those are the three guys we need to talk about. And anyone else, it's really uh, just trade the pick. Trade the pick for whatever you can get.
2: Yeah, and I think Darius Garland is a risk. Kobe White is um, not as big of a risk. I think Kobe White could be a serviceable point. I think his. Likelihood is a good backup point guard for Kobe White. I, you know, I don't ever, I don't see an all star in his future. I'll say that. I think it's possible he could be an okay starting point guard, but that's going to take years to develop. And this is why I don't think Kobe White is going to be the pick that we take. I think Darius Garland has a higher ceiling overall. Sam, you know how I feel about point guards who can shoot the three pointer off the dribble. I just think it's necessary. I think that's the, that's the NBA. That's where we're at. If you don't have a guy like that, uh, it's difficult to uh, be successful in a backcourt in the NBA.
4: That's why you were so excited about Kobo going into last season. <laughs>
2: exactly. Exactly. Where did, that, I think that, where, did, where did that take us? Well, but, I mean, that's, that's a no, late I'm, pick. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> you know?
4: I'm kidding. Don't worry. I'm not coming after you. Darius Garland <laughs> is a good pick. Our friend um, Kyle Mann from The Ringer, the dime drop. Uh, when he came on our podcast a few weeks ago, he compared Darius Garland to Kemba Walker. And I don't want to promise anyone that Darius Garland has the same ceiling as Kemba Walker, but I do think that's a very good comparison in terms of play style. Now, for those who don't know, Darius Garland only played five games this season with Vanderbilt, and then he was out for the rest of the season with a knee injury. So we haven't seen much tape on him. I haven't seen all that much tape on him. And it's really hard. Uh, I, I feel like there's a lot more variance with a type of uh, prospect like this in terms of trying to parse through all of the film and uh, really figure out what you're going to get. But overall, I think you're going to get a prospect who shoots really well off the dribble. How good of a playmaker is he for Devin Booker? I don't know. And the other thing about Darius Garland, we were talking about with John ja Morant, who's for the most part the consensus second best prospect in this draft, that if the Suns took John ja Morant and expected him to be their primary playmaker from day one, uh next year for the 2019-2020 season that they are not going to hit their milestone that they want for wins like they right. need a veteran point guard doubly so for a guy mm-hmm. like Darius Garland. Exactly. I think Darius Garland has a good potential uh as uh a guy who can really score in bunches. His playmaking will probably come along eventually. He's got some good tools for defense as well that I think will come along eventually under a good environment under Monty Williams. But the Suns aren't going to be a good team next year with Darius Garland as their starting point guard. Not at all. And with the sixth pick, you still have to pay him like a decent amount of money, like maybe 6 or $7 million from the get-go. I have to check the exact number uh, that's associated on the rookie contract for that pick position. But bottom line, if the Suns take Darius Garland, that's not enough to be a good team. You still need to go out and get free agents at point guard and at power forward if you have any hope of uh, making big strides uh, next season.
2: No matter who we pick, if it's Darius Garland, if it's Kobe White, uh, or if it's whoever else you think is available at that range, they are not going to be contributors next year to a winning team except for potentially a guy like Brandon Clark. Now, Brandon Clark, the problem with Brandon Clark is he's not a perfect fit in the starting lineup, we'll say that. He's not a perfect fit next to DeAndre Ayton on the court. Now, he does make up for a lot of his defensive flaws, but he's not much of a shooter. He could potentially develop as a shooter, but taking guys that could potentially develop as a shooter is the is how you get into the situation that we're in right now with a bunch of guys who can't shoot still. So that's not a guarantee. Uh, but I think it's fair to, to point out that that's the only scenario where I think we can get a guy that plays a lot of minutes next year and is actually on a good team. I think if you take Darius Garland, one of the nice things about taking Darius Garland, I think, is that if you take him there, you're saying we are committed to slowly developing this guy over time, and we're not going to put too much on his shoulders right away. Now, we've seen that happen in the past, where we take guys with that in mind, and then by the end of the season, they're starting like Mikhail Bridges. He started 56 games last year. Uh, That's not always what happens when you draft a guy with the intention to do that, but I think if you choose Darius Garland, you're making a very public statement that that's what you plan on doing, because it's going to take time for him to to develop. He's still technically coming off of injury. He hasn't played basketball in almost a year, so it's expected that that's going to take some time. And that's what a, the kind of the nice thing about picking a guy like him. I like Darius Garland a lot. You, I know you like Darius Garland. We've talked a lot about it. But the other guy we should talk about quickly is Brandon Clark. Uh, I think he could be good. We've talked about it. He's one of the only guys in this draft I think that could contribute next year, partially because he's 22, though. He's one of the older players in this draft. It's a lot like picking Mikhail Bridges again. But most people consider this a reach at this point. That means that the Suns, if they do really target him, could potentially trade back. But there's no guarantee that you're going to get the player that you want if you trade back. So how willing do you think the Suns are to reach at that sixth pick to pick a guy like Brandon Clark?
4: I don't think it's a reach. I think it depends. Now, this is tough because we don't really know what the Suns analytics um, department looks like right now.
2: You mean Ricardo (laughs) Foix? he makes it easy to understand sam
4: yeah he makes it easy. he to makes understand. it easy he, he can tell brandon clark not to take mid-range jump shots um <laughs> ricardo flaw worked with brandon clark that's important to note first of all um yeah coming from gonzaga but look <laughs> uh brandon clark is not a reach at six and i think most people who are analytic minds are coming around to that uh advanced stats love this guy. Granted, when you when you deal with a guy who is 22 years old, as you said, uh, who played phenomenally well at the college level, like he was probably the second best impact player at a college level behind Zion Williamson. I can't overstate that enough. He was probably more of an impact player than John Morant uh, for Gonzaga than John Morant was for Murray State. However, granted, uh, those players are usually not taken too high in the draft because they are perceived to have a lower ceiling. And I think the really hard thing with a guy like Brandon Clark is trying to figure out. Uh, as a Brandon Clark is really going to benefit, uh, or or a lot is going to come down to the draft combine. I'm really curious if he's going to come down to the draft combine because we need to figure out if he's really six eight or if he's closer to six six, uh, and that's really going to be able to tell us if he's going to be able to play. Full-time power forward and potentially even small ball center at the NBA level, or if he's a guy who just feasted on inferior competition at the NCAA level, who's really going to struggle once he gets to the NBA. I think the problem with uh, trying to evaluate a guy like Brandon Clark, I've heard a lot of comparisons. First of all, to Jordan Bell, and I think there there are other comparisons. This isn't a perfect fit in terms of play style, but maybe a guy like Montrez Harrell. Like, what if the ceiling for Brandon Clark is he becomes basically? We we debated this on the podcast a few weeks ago. Basically, close to sixth man of the year worthy, off the bench as your big, capable of playing 20 to 25 minutes a game, just an energy big, who's able to really get after it, get a lot of rebounds, uh, hustle plays, but can't quite fit into a modern NBA offense enough to play 30 or 35 minutes. That's the concern about Brandon Clark. Is that really worth using a sixth overall pick on? Maybe. Because the guys that the Suns have been taking fourth overall as of late aren't even close to that good. Dragon Bender is close to out of the league, and it's only been a couple of years. Josh Jackson—I don't know if we're going to talk about it in a minute. You correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Josh mm-hmm, Jackson—he's in, st- in danger of being out of the league pretty fucking soon <laughs> if he doesn't get his act together. So the real appealing thing about a guy like Brandon Clark is—you're the Phoenix Suns. You have an awful track record of development james jones i know you're trying to fix that with these hires and jeff bauer and monty williams and fuck it ricardo Foix. but until you can really prove that you have a track record of developing prospects uh, to a decent degree there's something really appealing about taking a guy like brandon clark sixth overall i don't think that's a reach at all Uh, And just saying, hey, this guy's probably not going to be a superstar player, but he fits into most teams in the NBA. The way that he plays defense, the way that he protects the rim from the weak side is going to be phenomenal in terms of protecting DeAndre Ayton uh, as a rim protector. He'll just be fantastic in that regard. He can fit into almost any defense in a modern way. He's an elite finisher at the rim uh, and he'll just have an instant impact.
2: So those are the three guys that we think are the most likely to be targeted at that spot. I imagine that a lot of new information will come out soon and we'll find out exactly what the Suns are thinking now. Uh, the Godfather Gamadoro said that outside of the top two picks, the Suns are likely looking at trading. Uh, and we don't know what's going to happen there. Of course, we can make up some fake trades, but I think we're going to wait for some news to come out and see maybe who could potentially be available before we start making up fake trades here. There's obvious guys. There's Mike Conley. There's Blake Griffin. Uh, there's Kevin Love, maybe Lonzo Ball. Uh, those are the hopefuls, I guess, you can look at. But I think that going forward, we're going to have a lot to talk to you about that, so so we'll save that for future, uh, for the future. Coming up, we're going to talk about Josh Jackson, But after that, I'm going to interview the Suns fan who showed up at the Lakers protest to ruin their party. But first, when you're selling online, getting orders out can be a real pain. Time-consuming, expensive, so many carriers to choose from. How do you know you're making the best choice? That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keeps your customers happy. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, or your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. Right now, listeners of the Timeline podcast can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use the promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk, and you can start your free trial without even entering your credit card information. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, and even Amazon Fulfillment, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice for online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in blue. That's ShipStation.com, then enter the promo code blue. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. So Sam, Josh Jackson was arrested this last weekend. at a music festival trying to... Well, actually, let's just take a listen of what happened.
1: Josh Jackson plays with the Phoenix Suns. He was at Rolling Loud uh, in Miami Gardens, which was at Hard Rock Stadium. And according to my sources, Josh Jackson was arrested because he tried to get into the VIP area several times (laughs) without having proper VIP access. Officers were being kind of polite to him after like 3 or 4 times he, he tried it and then they finally took him out they put him in handcuffs put him on a golf cart and this nba player gets off the golf cart in handcuffs and starts running away so police catch up <laughs> to him and then they charge him with a felony for escape and then also
2: resisting arrest yikes <laughs> a felony for escape that's pretty harsh it's not a pj tucker super extreme
4: dui granted it's it's yeah. naruto running away from the police you know it could be it could be worse
2: i think it's a guarantee that that felony gets dropped down to a lesser charge let's let's just say that uh he is rich after josh all.
4: josh jackson makes millions millions of dollars of course his felony is getting dropped down to a lesser yeah. charge that being said Josh Jackson makes millions of dollars. How the fuck could you not get into the (laughs) VIP area of a music festival?
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think this this story is insane to me because, um, first of all, people who sneak into VIP sections are assholes. (laughs) I've seen them before, and it's never fun. And uh, second of all, uh, there's no way he didn't have access to that VIP section before in my opinion, and that means that he likely lost his wristband or or lanyard or whatever he needed to get in there, and he was just trying to sneak in, which is hilarious, but also means that he was probably completely wasted, and that's fine. Go to a music festival. Get wasted. You're 22 years old. That sounds like a blast, but remember that you're also an NBA player and that people look up to you and that there's a whole fan base that wants you to succeed, and when you do things like this, it does not look good, and maybe even think about the fact that your team that you play for has a very interesting decision to make on your future. And I think that's the most important reason to talk about this because this is just another thing that's happened with Josh Jackson in a bizarre season. Now, Josh Jackson will tell you, yeah, I've had three coaches and that's why I haven't been successful. Uh, Now, fair. That's a fair criticism to make. But he also didn't go to uh, an event that kids were waiting to get autographs for, something that's required to do, and it's in his contract to do, and he missed it. And it forced our general, brand new general manager to show up and buy beer for a bunch of people, and then it became a laughingstock story about the Phoenix Suns. Then he didn't really get much better throughout the season. He continued to play badly. He continued to post some of the worst advanced metrics that you can as a player in the NBA, and then the season ends, he makes a joke about Igor Kokoshkov getting fired, something we didn't talk about on the podcast, but he just made another joke about, oh, great, another coach, leaves the state, goes to Miami, and gets arrested and charged with a felony. And something that he did not need to do, you guys heard the story about it, he was likely going to be let go if he didn't run away from the police. Now this, is to me, okay, this story on its own, not that bad. The fact that he doesn't play well, the fact that he also missed an event this season, the fact that he it took him a while to apologize for it, all of this stuff does not add up to a guy that you want to keep around when you're trying to fix your culture. This is a team that is in disarray right now, and we have a general manager that has been tasked by the owner of the team to fix one of the worst cultures in the NBA. The idea that Josh Jackson will stick around is very unlikely at this point, and the idea that if he does, that they're going to pick up his option in his fourth year is a guarantee not going to happen at this point to me as well. And that means to me, I think the only option is to try and trade him right now and give another team a chance to talk to him and see if they're willing to pick up his option at this point. Do you agree with that, Sam?
4: I do agree with that. The Suns need money for cap space. Unfortunately, it was always a conversation between Josh Jackson versus TJ Warren, I think. Kelly Oubre is kind of uh, a hot commodity right now that I think the Suns are really, really trying to re-sign, if not only for the on-court basketball product, also for the culture. Kelly Oubre is literally the guy who trademarked the term Valley Boys, Uh, and Mikael Bridges just had a good rookie season, so that's an obvious guy to keep for the next three years. It's just unfortunate because TJ Warren's a guy who can't stay healthy, can't stay on the court, and then Josh Jackson is a guy with obvious attitude issues. I'll put it this way. Would anyone, Mike, give a fuck about this story if Josh Jackson wasn't the fourth overall pick? Did we ever, did we ever give Archie Goodwin this much of a leash? Has Josh Jackson been a better player than Archie Goodwin?
2: I mean, even on top of that, if Josh Jackson was actually good, I wouldn't care about this story. It just it's it's in combination of the fact that he's been a complete and utter disappointment on and off the court at this point and and I, and I hate to pile on at this point we're kind of the podcast that piles on Josh Jackson but this is really <laughs> bad it's it's just a Everyone it's knows. a sign of really dumb decision making and he's shown that on the court so it's consistent with his decision making off the court and and I'm not saying that this one instant. Is everything. I think it's just, I honestly, I think it's funny. (laughs) I think it's really funny. Other than running away from the police, he probably had friends in the VIP section and he was trying to sneak in there. And that was probably funny at the time. And maybe getting caught once was funny and then sneaking in again. That was probably funny too. But at a certain point, it's not funny anymore. And it's not funny for us as fans to try and cheer for a guy like this. And I think when you're trying to fix the culture, at a certain point, you gotta cut ties. You gotta say you're not successful on the court, you're a distraction off the court, and we're trying to win now. And you gotta go. You gotta go. And I think that's the most likely scenario. The problem is, of course, as we have talked about in the past, who wants him? Nobody.
4: It's seven million dollars. It's not like it's a two or three million dollar investment. Like right. you could get a solid free agent for seven Montrez Harrell. I just made the comparison of Montrez Herald to Brandon Clark as like an impact player in the NBA. He signed for $7 million, maybe even less, maybe $6 million with the Clippers last offseason. You could get good players for $7 million. Why waste your money on Josh Jackson? That's going to be the thinking of a lot of NBA teams. Why even bother? For as many success stories as as there have been, there are way more failures for a guy like Josh Jackson who just has the athletic tools, can't put it all together. I think it's basically a guarantee that one of Josh Jackson or TJ Warren is gone this offseason, and I wouldn't be surprised at all to see both of them traded away. Uh, just so that the Suns can pocket a little bit more money and go after some higher quality free agents.
2: It's unfortunate. I, we had to talk about it, of course. <laughs> there, there he goes. There goes Josh Jackson. But no, in all seriousness, this isn't a
4: disaster. It's just whatever. We, you know, we have to talk about it. But compared to the scale of some of the things that we've seen as Suns fans over the past year or so uh, or, or a few years, this is this is basically nothing. They'll move on from this. I still think Josh Jackson has a little bit of trade value. Uh, maybe they can get. Gambo is supposedly reporting that they can get an early second, late first round pick. I don't know what you think of that assessment.
2: Mm, I I think that's what they want, uh, but I, I just don't know. I just don't know. <laughs> I, I just think it's, it's almost like a, a dead, it's almost dead money at this point. Like he hasn't been good enough to prove that he's worth that amount of money. And I almost feel like you, if you want to get rid of him, you almost have to give up something to get rid of him. It's, it's that bad to me. I, I, and yeah, he's young, so maybe I'm completely off base here. But I just can't imagine a team wanting to do this. Here's why I think it's a guarantee that they're not going to pick up his option. You go to Robert Sarver and you say, we got to pay Josh Jackson almost $8 million. Are you cool with that? And he'll go, Josh Jackson, wasn't that the guy that was just arrested and charged with a felony doing something incredibly stupid? I don't want to give him $8 million. That's a fair assessment to make if you're going to boil it down to that level, and you know, it's just uh, to me, it's just unlikely that that happens. And and yeah, I don't know, I don't know what he's going to get, but I think that that the Josh Jackson story might end sooner rather than later. I think that's why I wanted to bring it up more than any other reason.
4: I I know there are some of you Josh Jackson truthers out there. I know this is painful to listen to. I'm sorry if we've piled on him a little bit too much for your taste over the past few months. But just, I I don't see what you see. You know, I'm talking to you truthers right now. I can't see it. I'm open, and, and I'm open to it. You know, out, out, you can contact us through Twitter or Reddit anytime. But I just can't see it. What, what do some people see on the court out of Josh Jackson that makes him so appealing? I see a guy who is taken with a fourth pick. I think it's time to cut ties. We've done it with Bender. We've done it with Marvies, Chris.
2: I'm sure we're going to find out soon. Let's switch over to the interview. I interviewed Austin Seer. Austin Sear is the Suns fan who showed up to enjoy the Lakers protest with a huge bag of peanuts. And I'm about to talk to him about how that went. Let's switch over to that. Joining me here on the timeline is Austin Sear. Austin, I've called you a living breathing meme alive and well after attending the Lakers protest as a Suns fan in full Suns gear. Uh, Tell me a little bit about that. What was that like?
3: Well, thanks for having me on the show, Mike. Big fan of what you've done here and everything you've done for the Suns subreddit as well. Um, This moment really just was a culmination of so many things, and I'm happy that I was able to be in the right place at the right time. And show up for the city of Phoenix and, and our wonderful Suns organization. So I had seen the rumors starting to swirl about protests being organized over on the Lakers subreddit. And once that story had been picked up by ESPN and Bleacher Report, I knew that there was at least going to be a handful of, of circus performers here uh, and some form of these <laughs> fans as well as some of the media, and it should have just been something good to observe and be a part of. I mean, this is a pivotal moment in not only Lakers history, but really the next chapter of the NBA in a lot of ways. We just saw Magic Johnson step down, and it was, it was a significant moment with LeBron James over there and everything going on, and I, I wanted to see it. I had the opportunity to. I only live a few miles away, uh, and with WorkWise, I had the availability to make it happen. So decided to go out there and just check it out, and it did not
2: disappoint So you're a Suns fan. You live in Los Angeles. You put on a Suns jersey. You put on a Suns hat. And you grab, my favorite part of all of this, a giant bag of peanuts. And you walked over there to watch the Lakers fans who are now... Just completely pissed off at their organization. They're really mad about Monty Williams not signing there. They're angry about the coaches that they they did end up with. You know, a coach being forced to hire an assistant coach. Just an awkward situation. Weird people in charge. Lakers fans could be pretty pissed off. But it sounds like they actually treated you pretty okay while you were there, right?
3: Most of them did. And the ones that didn't, it was only after our initial... Uh, introduction, you know, people were upset. They were riled up, you know, they're saying, fuck you and get out of here. You're just here for attention. And I'm like, well, I'm really here just to see you guys all try to get attention because really what is the point of a protest? Right. <laughs> so they, you know, a couple of them came up and said, oh, you're not even a, a real fan. Uh, why are you even here? Go name the starting five uh, for the Suns." And I asked them from which era <laughs> and and, you know, just laid it out with Melton or Spaulding, uh, Devin Booker <laughs> locking it down at the two, a combination of Kelly Oubre, TJ, Warren, Josh Jackson, Mikkel Bridges as our three. We can also apply one of those down to the four. Dragon Bender was starting a lot at the end of the season. And DeAndre Ayton, first overall pick from last year, of course, except at the end of the season with Rashawn Holmes was filling in due to that ankle injury. <laughs> and he was like, he just stepped back after a little after that, and he's like, oh, okay, you, you, you're you really here to be a part of this in this NBA moment, and from that moment forward we just had really good conversations and it was actually one of the lakers fans who came up to me after that slam interview had taken place just on the whim and he was like dude look you're on here right now and he was bent over laughing and you know we, we came in there uh, as you might expect but we all left you know pumping fists and giving hugs and stuff
2: <laughs> so why peanuts this is my favorite part
3: why peanuts? What do you What do you snack on when you are at the circus?
2: <laughs> peanuts. It's
3: the official one. I, it's exactly. It's a fantastic plant based uh, form of protein. Uh, all different kinds of innovative components it provides. <laughs> yeah, you know peanuts are just great. And truth be told, uh, they didn't have popcorn at the store. So <laughs>
2: that's that. Yeah, popcorn. I guess popcorn would have would have been the same kind of joke uh, in, in a similar way. So y- while you were there. You were interviewed by ESPN Slam. Slam is where I first saw. it, it was you know that one went viral immediately. Uh, what was like did they just approach you because you were in Suns Gear? What was it like?
3: It happened really fast. Um, I was just kind of standing off to the sides, observing, snacking, uh, smiling, and someone just kind of came up and said, "Hey man, I'm from Slam. You mind telling me why uh, you're here as a suns fan?" And I said, "Yeah sure." And he said, okay cool." And then he just put his phone right in my face. And that was it, similar <laughs> to the 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 ESPN interview and um, uh, and the the fan duel shot that was taken i didn't I didn't even know that was happening.
2: I'm guessing that it's been viewed hundreds of thousands of times at this point. I've saw, I saw it everywhere. it was all over everywhere that suns fans like to visit, but it went it also went viral sort of nationally, even outside of the sun's circles. What has it felt like to go viral? <laughs>
3: What has it felt like to go viral? Um, It's got to be weird. It is weird. And you have some of these strange things that pop up. Um, Like, I'll get someone who wrote on the Reddit thread on the NBA post. um, Hey, man, I've known you uh, since elementary school. We went to Sunridge together. I'll give you a hint. My last name rhymes with Zamboni. (laughs) And I'm like, now I'm answering riddles as these (laughs) things pop up. Funny enough, though, I swear to God, this is really weird. I was talking to my friend, uh, Johnny Hicks, who um, uh, from, I knew from college. And I was saying, and he's also from the Phoenix area. And I read that to him. I was like, yeah, this guy says he went to uh, elementary school with me at EduPrize. And his name rhymes with Zamboni. And he goes, oh, that's JT Langoni. That's my <laughs> homie from EduPrize. I said, what the hell are you talking about? He's like, no, 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 I know this is really, really weird right now. but We went to middle school together. He's a huge Suns fan and, and uh, Cardinals fan. And he used to go to Sunridge also. So, yeah, I know that. I was like, that is one of the strangest coincidences, small world examples I've ever heard.
2: Shout out to JT. Maybe he's listening right now.
3: Maybe he's listening right now. Um, but uh, it's been a, just a cool thing to see the response from the Suns community, If truth be told. I mean, everybody else is going to say what they're going to say. But I had shared that I was going to do this with everybody from the Suns community there on the, on the Reddit thread and beforehand. And to see the response that they've come in with that, I just feel good to have made them proud.
2: Yeah, and I think you did. I think you fully represented all of us because as Suns fans, we haven't felt like we were on top of another organization there in the in the rankings for a while. So it was nice to feel like that for a little while during the Lakers' complete dysfunction and disarray that they were going through. What was the craziest thing you heard a Lakers fan say?
3: Oh my God. I mean, so many of those dudes that were there were just... Trying to make a moment of it, I think there was the one guy who went viral. If you're saying what the craziest thing, <laughs> uh, one guy said, "You said what do you what do you want to do? too? what would you do to fix the franchise?" Said, oh my god, easy. First step, fire everybody.
4: Second step, bring back all the best players. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, Robert Sarver almost offered him a contract on the spot. <laughs> right there. I think half the people
3: who were there were actually just showing up to the Lakers Indeed post for, for no an <laughs> representation. Um, you know, the, like the, the the Ball family poster was great. Um, draft, uh, LiAngelo, uh, make LeVar the coach. And, uh, you know, it's like all those kinds of stuff. So it was, it was, it was a show. It was fun. Um, people there loved their team. I'll give them that. Um, I mean, it takes a lot to show up, you know, in the middle of the day. Even if you don't have anything better to do, like it didn't seem like a f- lot of folks did. It's like, you gotta love your team to go up there and yeah.
2: stuff like that. So yeah, and and you know awesome. what they 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 treated you well. They they weren't trying to fight with you once they realized the purpose of you being there. Uh, and it sounds like overall it was a pretty good event. And now that I know we have a Suns fan who is in Los Angeles, I think you got to be our man on the ground there in case something goes down in LA that we need a a reporter there for. <laughs> Does that sound good? One hundred percent. All right, Austin Sear, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for representing Suns fans all over the world at a Lakers protest. Until
3: next time.
2: And that's it for our episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, of course, to Sam Cooper, my co-host, Austin Sear, for joining us here at the end. And uh, you know what? Screw you, basketball gods. That was no fun. Everyone... Rate and review us on iTunes, whatever your app you're using. Subscribe to our podcast. Check out our YouTube channel. We have a brand new video about Monty Williams and how he will use DeAndre Ayton in the future. That's going to be an interesting storyline going forward. And don't forget, of course, to follow us on Twitter at the Timeline Pod. So you know what? That's what you get for watching the draft. All right. Now, once again. Kind of a fucking loser. Just sits there watching round after round. The
1: Jets are up next. I think they need a quarterback. And they need
2: they need to improve the defensive line. Dude, that's like that's like going to a graduation ceremony where you don't know anybody who's graduating. and just fucking sitting there. They're gonna have the whole list the next day. They'll have everybody who drafted who when. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns.
1: Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary,
2: The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.
5: Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older.